Well, again, good morning. <clears throat> We're back in Luke 22 again this morning, so if you will, grab your Bibles, grab your Bible app, grab your scroll, whatever you got, make your way over to Luke 22. And as you do so, I just want to remind you again of the context, uh, just to make sure we know what's, what's going on, uh, where Jesus is going to speak this today. Uh, remember, he's gathered his apostles, and, and they've eaten the Passover meal, and the Lord has instituted the, the first Lord's Supper, and then he's told of them, you know, one of you is going to betray me, uh, and, and they all start to wonder, well, who's it going to be? And as they defend themselves, somehow this turns into this conversation about, you know, well, it must not be me because I'm the greatest. Uh, and they're all telling each other how great they are. And, and Jesus interrupts and, and tells them, you know, teaches them once again, if, if you want to be great in my kingdom, then, then you need to serve others. Uh, and, and finally, last week, Je- Jesus tells them, you know, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Um, and, and he informs Peter, that, that Peter is going to deny him three times before this rooster crow, before the evening's over, uh, but also that Jesus has prayed for Peter's faith and, and that Peter was going to turn back. And when he does so, that he has this responsibility for Peter, uh, and that responsibility is to strengthen the others. And so then our, our passage today is, is still in the upper room, still in that context there. Um, and it's one of these passages that you, you kind of have to admit. Uh, it's, it's a bit confusing, and, and it is interpreted a number of different ways. Now, whenever we find ourselves coming to a passage that can be difficult to interpret, difficult to understand, it's important that, that we consider the immediate context, that we consider the wider context of, of that book, and, and the wider context even, even than that of the entire canon of Scripture, and we're going to look to do that today. Now, um, let's, let's read these four, four verses, and then we'll just dig into it, okay? Uh, Luke 22, beginning in verse 35. He is Jesus here at the beginning. And he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bags or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, Nothing. He said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we have done in the past, so we do again today. We find ourselves in a difficult to understand passage, and yet we desire to understand it. We we want to know what our Lord means by these words given first to his apostles in the upper room, and, and we desire to know what these words mean for us today. We want to know how prepared we ought to be as we walk through this life as your people and, and as we share the gospel with others, some of which will not take kindly to the message. And, and Holy Spirit, we, we ask you to put out of our minds the various distractions that are bound to come this morning. May we be enamored with God's word before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as we begin this study on a passage about weapons, I I want you to be careful not to jump too quickly to conclusions, particularly because we, we, we hear this as we dwell in this, this world, right, where via the media uh, we have witnessed numerous mass shootings, public shootings, and at the same time uh, there are some who are pushing to take away the right to own a gun in our culture right now. And so we, we come into this with all those things going on in our minds. And 
What, what I mean by this is, is, is let's seek to understand the passage before us. Let us look at it through the lens of Scripture as, as we approach this, not through the lens of, of current political agendas that are just specific to our, our culture right here. Now, at, at the most basic level here, Jesus is instructing his disciples how to live, how to make disciples after his death, after his resurrection, uh, after his ascension to the Father, right? After he's no longer bodily walking with them, because that's going to be very different than what they've experienced thus far, as Jesus has been bodily right there with them for three years. Uh, He's preparing them for what life will now be like, which is where the the first part of today's title comes from, right? A a new normal. What is the new normal for the apostles here? Um, and, and, and this is how to prepare and, and live as we seek both to glorify God and seek the good of our neighbor. So, so Jesus then begins this conversation with a question in verse 35. Look at it. He asked them, when I sent you out with no money bag or no knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? Meaning you didn't have the things you needed for going out on that mission, but did you lack anything anyway? And, and do you remember when Jesus asked this, right? You got to go all the way back to Luke chapter 9. It's been a while. Uh, You can turn there if you want, Luke chapter 9, it's right near the very beginning uh, of that chapter. And Jesus gives them authority to cast out demons and to heal diseases. And he instructs them there in verse 3 saying, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Um, And then if you just flip forward to chapter chapter 10 of Luke, right, right at the beginning of this one as well, Jesus, this time, first time it's the apostles, right? He sends out the 12. The second time, he's sending out 72 of his disciples uh, out into, for, for this, this mission he has, uh, to, to spread the, the, mission of the message of the kingdom. And then in verse 4, Jesus says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. And so our passage today is Jesus asking them, remember back when I told you all that? To, to just go with no preparations, no planning, and, and did you lack anything? And of course, they, they answer, and we lacked absolutely nothing. Uh, Jesus is reminding them how God provided for them eh, through, through the providential hospitality of God's people, the Israelites, right? And, and the Israelites received them into their homes, provided them food and a safe place to stay at night. That's the way God provided for them. And Jesus wants them to know things are going to be different this time. The mission's different, the location's different, because Jesus is going to be sending them out into a very different situation. This time, Jesus is sending them out uh, to be a witness, to be his witness, sending them out to make disciples, not only into Jerusalem, not only in Judea, but to Samaria, to the, to the ends of the earth, to very different places with very different cultures. And he's telling them, don't expect the same providential pro- provisions through, through the people. Instead, I want you to plan ahead because you're going to need certain things if you're going out into that world and you're sharing, sharing this, this message of the gospel. And, and that's why he begins verse 36 by saying, but now, meaning This is the new normal. This is how it's going to be. So then look at verse 36. What is the new normal? He says this, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. This is like uh, a a packing list, right? At some point in your life, you probably went on a a mission trip or to camp or anywhere, someplace, where you were given this packing list. These are the things you're going to need. Maybe they're not things you have in all your normal life, but things you're going to need on this trip. Um, right? You go to camp, you need bug spray, a fishing pole, things like that. Uh, and Jesus' packing list here is incredibly short, right? There, there's three items. The first two items, very practical. And the last one concerns some people and gets other people really excited. Uh, the first item is, is 
pack a money bag, right? Because uh, you're going to need money. You're, you're going to be going all over the region. You're going to go to places you've not been before where there aren't people that are going to want to invite you in and show you hospitality. And so you're going to need to be able to buy food. You're going to be able to rent a place to sleep at night that's safe. You're going to need to be able to take care of some people along the way and have money to do that. Uh, so that one makes perfect sense. No one's going to really have a problem with that. Uh, second item, pack a knapsack. You know what a knapsack is? It's not a sack for packing things when you want to go take a nap somewhere. Uh, it's a small travel bag. We generally what we call just a backpack, uh, and it's filled with supplies that you're going to need. It's a travel bag. Just you know, not just any supplies. Those specific supplies. Um, when our kids were little and we were going on a trip, they'd always get their little you know travel thing out and they'd pack it. Uh, and they'd fill it up, and Lord, go open it and find, you know, there's no clothes in here, there's no toothbrush, there's no shoes, it's just all the toys you can put into this thing, that's their, their way of going, and Lord, have to repack the whole thing. I, I still kind of pack that way, my toys are better, it's like a Kindle and crossword puzzles and my iPad, and a whole bunch of charging cords, because for some reason nothing uses the same cord. Uh, and, and Laura always packs the real stuff, so we can brush our teeth and change clothes and stuff. Uh, so anyway, th they're carrying in this sack of essentials, uh, essentials and valuables, things like food, maybe some medicine, maybe, maybe rope, maybe uh, torches or, or candles, something to light things up in the evening, uh, those kind of things. So, so that's the idea. It makes perfect sense, right? No problem. The, the third item is a sword, or as Jesus puts it, he says, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and, and buy one, right? Sell the cloak. That's kind of a, a shirt, if you will, if you want to make it something equivalent. Uh, and, and this is where the confusion begins. Now, a number of you are, are, are probably, and I'll even say arrogantly, uh, be thinking to yourself, I don't think this is confusing. This is, this is simple. Jesus is saying, go shirtless, carry a sword, like Conan the Barbarian or He-Man or someone like that. That's what he's saying. That's what we should do. Uh, I don't see any of you with your sword or shirtless right now. Uh, but anyway, that's kind of the, the idea we come to it sometimes. But it, it really isn't as simple. I thought it was that simple when I first approached this years ago. Uh, now, what I've seen is that there are theologians that I respect, that, I would, that you know, agree with each other on just about everything, and they come to this passage, and, and they actually skip different directions. Uh, R.C. Sproul, I even went to go look up, what's R.C. say? And Tony did the same thing, apparently. Um, and you see, he just jumps over this, which is not helpful, R.C. Um, I can't do that. Uh, he never, ever deals with it. So, so listen, usually I, I spend the week researching and just marinating in the scripture and, and thinking about it and searching the scriptures, trying to understand it. And I just come and I teach you what the passage means, not taking every little rabbit trail that might go and on, you know, obscure different things. Uh, today, though, because there's more than one very reasonable way to interpret this passage, I kind of want to pull back that veil a little. I want to walk through you with the process of, of thinking through this, uh, and particularly because this is not a, a gospel issue. It's really not. And here's what I mean by that. If if you happen to, to lean one direction or the other, right, if you happen to lean towards the absolute wrong interpretation here, and Jesus were to walk in here today, and he told you, uh, you know, you told him, here's what I think you meant by that, and he just responded, nope, not at all what I meant. You got it wrong. You would have misunderstood Jesus, right? It's important. I'm not saying it's not important, uh, but, but it wouldn't change your understanding of the gospel. It wouldn't expose you as a heretic or someone who doesn't understand what Christ has done for you on the cross. You would have simply misunderstood what Jesus meant in this passage. So now, 
do, do you remember your understanding of Jesus' words here? I mean, do understand that you, your understanding of Jesus' words here, you, you might get this wrong, but, but God's word is never wrong. There is something that Jesus absolutely intends here, and, and we do want to understand that it is worth the effort to find out what he means. And so then there are three ways that this is generally interpreted. Uh, the first one is this. Uh, some think it means simply bring your Bible, bring the Word of God with you. Uh, it's based on Ephesians 6.17, which says, take dot, 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 the Word of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, right? Uh, fine, uh, only the Old Testament this time, it wasn't bound up in, in nice, portable, easily transmi- trans- transported I don't know, carryable Bibles, right? Uh, these were huge scrolls. They weren't things that everybody had. Um, this is the least reasonable of all the interpretations here, that that's all it means, just, just bring your Bible with you. Uh, which leaves us with these two other ones, right? The two reasonable ways to interpret here is a literal understanding of this or a metaphorical understanding of this. Now, let's be honest. If you are a member of the NRA, you are likely to lean towards a literal interpretation of this. If you are not a fan of the NRA, you are likely uh, to lean towards Jesus saying this in a metaphorical way, not a literal way. Listen, we should never interpret Scripture through the lens of the Second Amendment. No matter how much you love the Second Amendment, this is not the lens that we interpret Scripture through. Now, if you're thinking, what, what is the Second Amendment? One, there's a few guys here that will gladly show you the Second Commitment, Amendment. Uh, probably print you out a copy. You can hang on your wall and read Will, are you volunteering for this? <clears throat> Just throwing you under the bus. Uh, it, it, it's the amendment that says the, <clears throat> the right of the people to keep and bear uh, to, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. A little bit more than that, but that's the, the really kicker on it. Um, when I was in high school, I remember pulling up behind a car and laughing my head off because there's this bumper sticker that said, I, "I support the right to keep and arm bears." Uh, same words, different order, and it's just a picture of this bear with guns and ammo strapped across him. Anyway, uh, w- what I'm saying is this. Let's, let's seek to understand what Jesus means here and, and do so only through the lens of Scripture. In other words, if, if Jesus means this metaphorically, let's receive it as such, even if you have a collection of AR-47s in your basement, right? And, and if Jesus means this literally, let's receive it as such, even if your opinion, it is your opinion that people should not be permitted to own guns in this country wrestle with the passage before us. Now, if you're wondering, right, well, what's your background? What's your view? Are you a member of the NRA? That kind of thing. I grew up around guns. I'm very comfortable shooting them. Uh, I'm kind of a weenie with the big ones. They scare me a little bit, but uh, I'm very comfortable with them. Uh, I will probably inherit uh, a number of guns. We have a ton of them in our family, but uh, today the only gun that I have is a a BB gun that we occasionally shoot at things in the backyard with. Uh, I do have a sword, Uh, It's Sting from Lord of the Rings. It's pretty sharp. Don't mess with me on that one. Uh, I'm not a member of the NRA, but I am very grateful for the rights that they advocate for. Uh, I've known in the past that we have had guys in this uh, service that were carrying a gun with them, and I was grateful to know that was the case. I appreciated knowing if someone busted in here and tried to do harm to us, that uh, we had an individual who'd be equipped for protecting many in that moment. Uh, so that's my view, right? Uh, I don't have a collection of AR-47s. I think you have a right to have them. Uh, anyway, 
Now, you might be thinking, uh, right, are any of you at this point thinking, why are we even talking about guns? There's no guns in this passage. I don't, the word gun doesn't show up here. Well, here's why. If, if you believe Jesus means this absolutely literally, literally uh, then he's telling his disciples to carry a weapon. And thus a sword has just been upgraded to a gun today because no one brings a sword or a, you know, a sword to a gunfight, right? Uh, in fact, if, if, if you search in Google image, <clears throat> just put in Luke twenty two thirty six, just the verse, no other information, uh, what comes up is this mass of stickers and patches and t-shirts for sale with this very loose translation of this passage that says, and Jesus said, if you don't have an AR-15, sell your coat and buy one with a picture of a gun next to it, right? That, that's what it is. You won't even find the actual translation of the verse there. Uh, Right? And, and I know, like I was teasing someone this morning, if this is your life verse, there's probably something messed up with you. I'm going to stand by that. Uh, just messing with you. Uh, so then, you, you know, you, should we take this literally? Right? That's the first question. Should we take this literally? After, after all, the, the, the money bag and the knapsack, surely those are literal. There's nothing symbolic or metaphorical about that. Right. So why wouldn't the sword also be literal as well? Um, if you step back and think, is there any reason they might need a sword, right? You might need one for protection to, to defend themselves from robbers, right? You can build that out of Exodus 22. It's pretty clear about that. Or, or when people get, you know, violent after you share the gospel with them and maybe they don't appreciate that. We see that a number of times in the New Testament, right? It'd be great to have a sword to be able to protect yourself. Um, <clears throat> literal makes sense. It just does. Uh, Romans 12, 18 through 20, right? We are instructed, if possible... So far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We, we should want to live peaceably with all. That is absolutely our, our goal as believers. But as Paul said there in those first two words, right, if possible, meaning it may not always be possible to live peaceably with all. Uh, maybe we need a sword for when someone... From when we interact with someone and, and, and we just find we cannot live peaceably with them in that moment. Now, you and I, by virtue of living in the United States, we live in a pretty safe location. That's just reality for us. There is this, this crime rate index that rates how, uh, <clears throat> how, how many violent crimes are committed. And it's a 1 to 100 rating. And, and to give you some perspective here, Detroit City is the highest at 94.3. That's really high on the violent crime rate. Uh, my hometown of Houston, 50.4, <clears throat> just a little ahead of Wichita, uh, you know, as far as the big cities in town, uh, that's the highest here, 48.4. Kansas City, Missouri, 34.7, so we're getting down there. Clay Center coming in at 14.3, well done, Clay Center. Uh, it might surprise you, Manhattan is actually at 12.4, right, has a lower, it's safer here than in Clay Center, Surprise me. Uh, Wamego, uh, not living up to its uh, Wamageto reputation, is at 9.2. It's, you know, safer. Uh, all that to say, we live in a pretty safe place. And still, you never know when you might find yourself threatened. I, uh, a few months ago, I was, I was leaving my office here. And as I go out, this is in the morning even. I was going outside. Uh, my office is kind of back in that corner. Uh, and a guy asked, hey, can you give me a ride to Dylan's? And I just, sure, hop in. And I get in my car, and he gets in. And immediately, he... He just reeks of what I think is meth. I'm not an expert on meth, um, but I think it's meth. Reeks of something anyway. And, and as we're driving pretty quickly, he's kind of like turning sideways and staring at me weird with these bug eyes. And I'm thinking, this is not, this is not good. Uh, and, and then he says, you know, just in this panicked voice, are you going to kill me? And I was like, I said, what? No, are you going to kill me? And 
at this point, I'm thinking, why, what have I done? Uh, and we're right by the Hy-Vee gas station, headed to the, the West Side Dillons, and, uh, and he says, pull in there, and I'm like, absolutely. Uh, and, and I'm still driving into the gas station, and the guy, like, he's unbuckled at this point, and he's holding his backpacks and staring at me, and he just opens the door and rolls out while I'm driving, uh, and jumps up on his feet, and he runs away, he's shouting, he tried to kill me, that man is trying to kill me, and, and I'm just going, what? Uh, there's this guy putting stuff in the back of his car, and I rolled out my window, and I was like, that was weird, and he's like, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I didn't know, like, I, like, I, he eventually ran into the store, I was like, I'm, okay, I'm getting out of here, this is not, you know, anyway. Uh, while this whole thing's going on, I, I thought, this guy is going to stab me, he's going to shoot me, he's going to do something, and, and I prayed for protection, thinking, this is not the way I was hoping to die. Um, but I, I'm, and I'm also thinking, man, I wish I had something to protect myself with. I, you know, at that moment, I looked around my car. I've got, like, you know, plastic bags tied in the knots. There's not a lot of good options. My phone, I could throw it at him. There just weren't good options here. But I thought, man, I wish I kind of had a protection. Maybe I will carry that sword around. Um, you know, it's, it's the same thing. You know, you think back then, even if it, you know, maybe for their own protection, they, they could have wanted a sword. Or, or maybe for the protection of others, right? We, we see that in Psalm 82.4, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hands of the, weak, uh, uh, of the wicked, right? There's options, there's opportunities where to have some sort of weapon to be able to protect someone makes perfect sense. Now, how could anyone think Jesus means anything other than a literal sword here? And, and let's consider that, right? First of all, if you believe that Jesus says this as a metaphor, then Jesus is saying, really, it's a, it's a general wider angle picture here. He's saying, be prepared for the difficult, for the dangerous road ahead. And, and thus, <clears throat> sword is just a symbol for the dangers and the persecution that they will face. This is, uh, if this is what Jesus is meaning here, then it's, it's like, say, uh, you know, he's saying, be like the warrior who wants to be prepared for the war ahead and therefore sells his cloak to purchase a weapon and in the time of war have that sort of mindset, right? Rather than it being literal. Be prepared for the danger of head ahead. And if we only had verse 36, a metaphorical view would be absolutely thrown out. I wouldn't even have been mentioning that to you at this point, right? But, but look at verse 38. One of the disciples says, uh, <clears throat> says, Lord, Lord, here are two swords. And Jesus responds, it is enough. Uh, two swords, 12 men, right? Even if you're like, eh, you're not going to need one for Judas, right? It's still not quite enough. Uh, is that really enough? If it's literally, you know, literal, then surely, literally, every disciple who doesn't have a sword should literally sell their actual shirt they are wearing and go buy a sword. But when they say we have two, Jesus doesn't even say, you know, that's enough. He, he says, it's enough. What, what, what does he mean by that? Well, why doesn't Jesus say, well, then you need 10 more. Go get some more. I see your shirts, your cloaks. Go sell them. Th those who take this metaphorically believe Jesus is dismissing the disciples here. They, they believe this is a, you know, an instant where they just, they don't understand what he's trying to say. They take him literally when they shouldn't. It's, it, it's kind of like the, the movie Christmas Vacation, if you've ever seen that one, right? Remember near the end of the movie, Clark comes back and he's frustrated because he, he receives this cheese of the month club subscription when he's expecting this big Christmas bonus and he's so frustrated that he kind of says in front of the whole family right something along the lines of just just offhand if any of you are looking for a, a uh, 
Christmas gift for me, and you know, a last-minute gift for me. I'd like my boss brought here, tied up in a bow, uh, and he kind of carries on with the night. Only Uncle Eddie, uh, this redneck character, who, by the way, is actually the characters from Kansas. They kind of established that. This is, you know, your representation. Uh, Eddie doesn't understand that Clark isn't literally asking for his boss with a bow on his head, and so he goes and he kidnaps the boss and actually delivers him with his bow. And when Clark sees this, he just kind of feels terrible, like. Oh, Eddie, uh, you misunderstood me again. I, you know, I, I didn't mean that. Some believe that's what's going on with Jesus here, with the apostles, after they say, look, Jesus, we have two swords, that Jesus is kind of just dismissing them. It's, it's, it's enough. As in, that's, that's enough about the swords. You don't understand it, just, just forget it. Now, they, they, they've wrongly taken Jesus literally before, right? When, when Jesus is talking about beware of the, uh, the, the leaven of the Pharisees or the yeast of the Pharisees in Mark 8, and, and, and they start talking about bread, and they just don't understand that he wasn't literally talking about bread and yeast. Um, John Calvin believes it's metaphorical when he says this. He says it was truly shameful and stupid ignorance that the disciples, after having been so often informed about bearing the cross, imagine that they must now fight with swords of iron. Another reason we might take this metaphorically is, is that later in this very chapter, Luke 22, uh, when they come to arrest Jesus, right, Peter pulls out one of those two swords, or maybe he sold a cloak and got another one, uh, to defend Jesus, and in this skirmish, he ends up cutting off the ear of one of the servants, and, and Jesus chastises him, saying, no, no more of this. No more of this. Doesn't mean he meant forever, but at least in this moment, he's saying, this is, don't use your sword here. You know, Matthew 26, 52 of that same incident tells us that Jesus also says to Peter, put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. I mean, we have to admit that the kingdom of God does not triumph by the sword. There's a lot of religions in the world where that's the case. The kingdom of God is not one of them. Now, the last argument for a metaphorical view is that nowhere in the New Testament do we see the apostles use a sword to threaten anyone, to defend themselves, or defend anyone else. Acts 5, uh, the apostles are arrested. They're later beaten. At no point do they pull out a sword to defend themselves. Acts 7, Stephen is being stoned to death, and no Christian pulls out a sword to defend him in that moment. Acts 12, when, when Herod uses a sword to kill James, the brother of John, there's no mention of John using a sword to defend himself. I, I mean, I, I did my research on this. I, you might find some exception to this, but as far as I was able to find myself, um, you can go through the rest of the New Testament and you won't find a single example of a disciple defending himself or herself with a sword. Not a one. Which raises the, the question, if, if, if literal is the correct interpretation, why do we not see any disciples obey the Lord's commandment? It's, it's worth noting, that's an argument from silence. It is, right? Um, there's a gap in it, right? Meaning they, they might have, and it just wasn't recorded in the scriptures. Absolutely. But, but at this point, I hope you can see, it's not as simple as, as first thought, one way or the other. So, so, so which is it, Right? You're, you're the pastor. You spent time with us. Tell us which, which one is it. I, after really spending some time in here, if I had to say one way or the other, I'd, I'd barely, meaning 51%, uh, say Jesus means this metaphorically. And, and, and for the record, you can take this metaphorically and still carry a weapon to protect yourself and others. It doesn't force you into that. This is just not the, the basis for why you'd, you'd see that. There's plenty of other places you can find that basis. Now, what I do want to be clear about here is as, as Christians, we are not violent people. We are, we are at least not 
needlessly violent people. The, the kingdom of God is, is not like any worldly kingdom. It, it does not advance by violence, by threat, by force. Right? There's, there's no time where you, where, you, where you come and say, you know, convert or we'll kill you. Well, there's plenty of religions that do that. This is not one of them. The, the, the sword will not bring anyone to genuine faith, even if they will publicly say something. You know, like Jesus said in John 19, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Listen, no matter how you interpret this, Jesus does want us to be prepared to live and to minister in a dangerous world. Right? Even if it's not a literal sword at this point, he's saying something here. That we are going out with a message into a dangerous place. You've got to have that mindset at the very least. And as Christians, just, just like we'll, we'll not use money or, you know, in, in our money bags for evil. Also, if we have swords or any other weapons, at, at no point are they going to be used for evil. There's no justification in scripture for that. But before we finish up, I, I do want you to look at verse 37, right? We kind of skipped right over that, where, where Jesus says, right, I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And then he quotes from Isaiah 53, 12, saying, and, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Um, and finally, Jesus says, for, for what is written about me has its fulfillment. It, it is fulfilled in him. Jesus is saying he fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah 53. And um, Isaiah 53 says this, says, it says the Savior will be despised, but the Savior will be rejected. He will take his, his people's sorrows upon himself. It says that the Savior will be wounded for our transgressions, that he will be crushed for our iniquities. It says the Savior will be led like a lamb to the slaughter and, and buried in the tomb of a rich man. It's a, the prophecy in Isaiah says that the Christ would make intercession for sinners, but before that he would be numbered with the transgressors. Jesus is himself sinless. He is innocent. He is not a transgressor. He is not a sinner. And yet he is numbered with, he is treated as a transgressor, a sinner himself. Christian, this, this means Jesus took all of your sin upon himself. He, he died the death you deserve and he received the wrath that you have earned. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, uh, it so beautifully tells us, for our sake, he has made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If your faith is in Jesus, then, then Jesus took the wrath of God that you deserve. That's reality, right? When he dies upon the cross, that's what he's done for you. And as I said last week, Jesus died for your dishonesty, idolatry, idolatry, theft, gossip, your, your prideful self-righteousness for every single sin in your life that rightly, uh, rightly condemns you. And so he received our sin and wrath, and, and we receive his righteousness, we receive his forgiveness. Is it fair? No. I mean, it's, it's justified. It's not fair. It, it's love. It's covenant love. This is what it looks like. And Jesus tells them this, and in this moment, right, he's telling them this because they need to understand that Jesus will be put to death. That's what he's communicating to them mostly with this here. He wants them to know that after his resurrection, right, it's He's going to ascend to the Father. He's not going to be walking with them down these streets again. And thus, he's physically not going to be present with them no more. And Jesus is sending them out, right? It doesn't mean, I have a mission for you. You're going to go out into the world. And this is, you know, the great commission. Um, you're going to go out carrying this glorious but often rejected gospel message. And, and so we must be prepared to live in that world. That's the world we live in, right? 
If you want to know, we, we live in a Luke 22 world, not a Luke 9 or 10 world. We must be prepared for that. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, well, what are the specifics of that? Let's give the application. Uh, and this is where I might disappoint you a little. Um, small groups, right? There's one today at 4 o'clock. There's one at uh, 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Uh, encourage you to go through that, to, to really get into that. You, you can discuss uh, your, your opinions, how much you, you think the literal or the metaphorical way is there. It might be fun. Um, but a way for us to really think about this. This is where I want you to really think. What, what, what are the dangers of the world we live in? What are the preparations that Lord would, would have us to have when we go out into that world? Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, grant our hearts to trust you to provide for us, to trust you to protect us, if that protection is what's best for us. And we ask you to give us wisdom to, to know what sort of supplies and weapons are wise and to know when we have crossed the line to believing that we'll protect ourselves and put no trust in you. Give us discernment for that. In other words, Lord, give, give us discernment in this area so that we will glorify you in how we live out planning and provision and trusting and resting. And thank you for being counted among the transgressors despite your holy perfection. Thank you for taking our sin upon yourself on the cross. This we pray in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.